0: Proctor here with a quick announcement before we get into this episode. First, I am happy to announce that this episode is sponsored by PurelyFunctional.tv. If you are looking for high-quality videos on Clojure, PurelyFunctional.tv has you covered. Eric Norman walks you through the topics, including an intro to closure, to more in-depth topics such as Core.async, and includes lots of exercises along the way. The videos are also available as downloads, allowing you to watch offline at your convenience, and previews of the videos are available online. To get your copy of the videos, go to http colon slash geekery and use coupon code geek to get a 25% discount on everything. And make sure to thank Eric Norman and purelyfunctional.tv for being a sponsor. Welcome to the 22nd episode of Functional Geekery. I am your host, Proctor, and today we have part one of a set of mini-interviews I conducted at LambdaConf 2015 last month. Enjoy! I'm here with Brian McKenna at LambdaConf. You may also know him on Twitter as PuffinFresh. And yesterday he gave a workshop, and before that he gave another little presentation. So would you like to give everybody a little rundown of what you've been talking about so far here at sure. LambdaConf?
1: Yeah, so I did a on, I think it was Friday, no Thursday, Thursday I did a introduction to PureScript, just describing the syntax, and some of the tooling around PureScript and getting people a little bit used to, to doing functional programming for, for front-end stuff and pure script instead of javascript stuff how do you describe pure script for people who haven't heard yeah. of it or may not realize what it is it's a functional language that compiles to javascript the benefit like there's a there's a couple of competitors there's like jcjs scala.js and there's a couple other ones as well pure script is a bit different in that it compiles to very minimal javascript it doesn't compile to a lot there's no runtime or anything the runtime is the javascript virtual machine so things like idris like we also compile to javascript but uh, we compile to like a bytecode machine and we have like a little virtual machine inside of the JavaScript runtime and then we use that thing to go over the bytecode. So it's a bit inefficient to do that. And it also causes problems for like doing FFI. It just says FFI is a lot less accessible to JavaScript libraries. And then what PureScript is, if, if you want to call something PureScript, you can just call it, it's got the same semantics. And we've got, use the same types as well. So PureScript has number, boolean, string, array, things that's already built into JavaScript. So it doesn't add much onto it. So you can easily call out to external libraries, give them types, and do functional programming with external libraries without any overhead of having a runtime or anything like that.
0: It's a very Haskell-looking syntax, correct? Exactly,
1: it? yeah. It's very inspired by Haskell. There's a couple of differences. Like You have to always explicitly quantify everything. So if you've got like a function from A to A, you have to say for all A. There's a function from A to A. So it's slightly different in a couple of ways, but mostly the same.
0: Okay. And then your workshop yesterday, you gave an intro to Idris as well, correct?
1: I did, yeah. So I uh, we talked about equality and how we can use dependent types to talk about equality and lift values up into types and then use that type to say what we want to be equal and then prove that those two things are equal. So we could say that two equals one plus one. We could do more interesting things. What we ended up proving is that idempotent functions, and like, th- there's a couple of idempotent functions, so functions that, f of f of a equals f of a. But there's also involutions. And so we talked about involutions as well. So that's f of f of a equals a. So doing a function twice is the same as doing it not at all. Whereas idempotent is doing it twice is the same as doing it once. Okay. And now if you if you have a proof that something is idempotent and something is an involution, so doing it twice is the same as doing it once, which is the same as doing it no times, there's only one possible function. It's the identity function. And so we worked up and we brought it up and we eventually proved that the only possible implementation for something that's both idempotent and an involution is the identity function so that was I was pretty proud of, of coming up with that example
0: then you're able to prove that all by the types as well oh yeah
1: exactly so we just we just said that in the types we said given that there's an involution of f and f is idempotent then f of a equals a so f is the identity function because that is the definition of identity right yeah yeah so we were able to prove that just using the dutch Specifying the types and then what you can do is just actually the proof is just transitive. You just say because I know this and because I know that we can just put them together and we know this fact at the end. That sounds so fantastic. It was a very simple proof but it was actually pretty cool to be able to show people. Yeah. And I've heard good things about Idris. It's just
0: I haven't gotten the chance to dig into it yet. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Amongst a, many other languages to dig in. There's a bit of a barrier to entry at the moment. The best way to learn Idris is if you know Haskell already. There's no good resources for just picking up Idris without a Functional Programming background, or without a Haskell background even. The syntax is very similar, and some of the ideas are very similar as well. So We need to make it more accessible and make it easier for people that don't have any Functional Programming experience to start playing around with Idris.
0: Okay. And where can people find you to follow you and find out more as you keep talking about these things? I mentioned you're Puff and Fresh on
1: Twitter. Is there any other place for people to find you? So brianmckenna.org is my website. Sometimes I vlog on there, but not very often. And brian at brianmckenna.org is my email, and you can just send me an email.
0: Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you. And I look forward to seeing some other stuff from you.
1: Awesome. Proctor
0: here. I'm here with John DeGose, who is the organizer of Lambda.com and also has done some other presentations in the past couple of days. John, do you want to give a quick brief overview of yourself?
2: Yeah, so I should say co-organizer because I couldn't have done it without the help of Courtney DeGose, my sister-in-law. We did a lot of the heavy lifting, but I've been programming actually since I was eight years old, and most of it was not functional programming. It would spin C, C++, all sorts of different programming languages. And I have, over the course of the last eight years or so, probably so slowly graduated to the mindset that, yeah, reasoning about programs as composition of functions is actually a whole lot simpler than trying to keep track of the entire program state inside your head at once, which is what I was doing for the previous 15 years. And right now I work for a startup called Slam Data, which I co-founded with my partner, Jeff Carr, and we use pure functional programming to produce analytics and reporting software for modern NoSQL databases like MongoDB.
0: So this is the second LambdaConf. What was part of the reason of deciding to go all in and start a conference and then deciding to do it again the following
2: year? There's a certain measure of insanity that goes into organizing a conference because it's an insane amount of work on top of a full-time job and a startup job at that. Plus, I have three kids and a puppy. And and occasionally, I like to get out, too, and see the mountains. But what inspires me is really the passion of the people who came to last year's conference. People came there, and they just had such an amazing experience. Friendships were formed across language lines. We had Haskell people talking to Closure people and all sorts of people from all different backgrounds making friendships and talking about their perspectives and about why they came to functional programming, what interests them in that. And I was so inspired by that conference that I was fairly certain, <laughs> it was a huge amount of work, I was fairly certain I wanted to do it again. And then uh, sort of right around December timeframe, people started tweeting saying, When's the next LambdaConf going to be? And I'm like, okay, am I really going to commit to doing this again? And then I did with Courtney and Matthew. We we all committed to doing this again. And it was approximately four times the work of the first one. (laughs) But we have double the attendees. And we have a huge, huge number of talks this year and workshops. Just really amazing content. Like your talk in Erlang, introducing people to Erlang. It's, It's just amazing how many different languages are represented by the conference and uh, different degrees of difficulty, everything from beginner all the way to super advanced, you know, type theory talks on dependent type theory. It's, it's just really amazing to see that, and to see all these people coming together, sharing their passion, sharing good food, and having a two and a half days of, of fun. It's That's what keeps me coming back for more and will probably bring me back next year for LambdaComp Comp 2016.
0: Oh, yeah, I've heard people... Talk about how this year blew away all their expectations and you went much greater. They're like, this is much, much grander and amazing compared to the one we went to last year. And they've just been
2: impressed by everything you've done. Thank you. I'm going to pass that along to Courtney. She will really appreciate that.
0: And then you've also done a little, there was also a little informal PureScript comp on Thursday before the conference that was a free for attendees. And you've given a couple of presentations or will be giving a presentation and and already done a workshop on PureScript. So what is part of that PureScript for you?
2: So I really like the language PureScript because, number one, it's sort of a a sane, functional way of programming the front end. And at my company, we have a lot of front end work to do. We're building this rich application. It's it's like a full-featured web app that allows you to do drag-and-drop stuff, reporting, and all these kinds of rich user functionality. And PureScript lets us do that in a functional way that's type-safe. And the language is very clean. It's minimal. It's relatively easy to pick up compared to more complex languages. And I now have a, as CTO of SLAM Data, I made the choice to build a company based on a very young language. So now I have a vested interest in making sure that language survives and prospers. And so I wanna make as many PureScript fans as I possibly can and, and help contribute to the ecosystem, help educate people in PureScript, because I need that language to <laughs> continue. Uh, development of the SLAM data application, which is my day job. So that's why I decided, with, along with the co author of, or, or the author of PureScript, Phil Freeman, to do the PureScript Conf. And it was really a big success. It was sort of last minute, but uh, 50 people showed up, and more people said they would have gone if they had known about it in advance. So I think maybe that's something we'll do it next year is having like niche language workshops uh, here and there for script or or whatever it might be, just pre-LambdaConf so that smaller languages that that can't merit a full conference and that want exposure can do so without sort of the big costs of of organizing the conference. That sounds great.
0: Thank you very much for your time. And I know you've been busy all day, so I'll let you get back to running around and take care of everything.
2: Thank you, Stephen. And thank you for speaking at LambdaConf and also your amazing help pre and and during LambdaConf itself. Hope to have you back next year. Hope to be back. Fantastic.
0: I'm here with Zan at LambdaConf. Zan, do you want to say hi? Hello. You're new to functional programming, so do you want to give a little bit of background of how you came here and what you're thinking about the conference?
3: Sure, yeah. I'm completely new to functional programming. So I actually heard about the conference through Women Who Code, the organization there. Went to a meetup. But I'm primarily, my background, I, I do Python at work, and then through school, I've done a little bit of C, C, so a lot of procedural, some object oriented, and then found out about LambdaConf and got a ticket through them and had actually never really heard of functional programming until that point. So a little bit of Google research here and there, and it was all kind of over my head and very abstract ideas. So I figured I'd just get here and see what came with it.
0: So you managed to go to a couple of different workshops too yesterday and been to some presentations because they're about little over halfway through the second day. So what do you think of what's been your impression so far and anything stand out to you? Uh,
3: The workshops were fantastic, actually. I really, uh, coming in without any experience, I thought they were all going to be, you know, over my head and I wasn't really going to grasp much. But uh, Paige Bailey's talk yesterday with the closure and gaming was definitely my favorite workshop for me. It was very step-by-step, great, and I was kind of amazed that within that two-hour period of that workshop, I, who had no functional programming experience prior, was able to kind of follow along and get what was going on. So that was wonderful. Actually, most of the workshops were all really good. A few of them were, you know, just got to a point where I was getting a little bit too, too crazy. I didn't really understand what they were talking about, so I was mostly just observing. But yeah, I was able to participate a little bit more than I expected to.
0: Any other highlights of things you've seen that kind of stood out? Like now that you're coming in, is there any other things that are kind of intriguing you more or less? For me,
3: definitely. Um, so right before lunch I went to the programming and math talk, which for me was was great. I do have a background in some applied mathematics. So making that connection because up till now programming has just been programming and you know, if you have to throw in math, there's the math and it's very separate. So tying those two things together for me was really interesting and started to make sense of those more abstract ideas that get talked about with functional programming. Like I was saying, you know, just doing a Google search about functional programming, I didn't really understand what they were talking about, some of the concepts I thought I got, and then I would actually think about it in relation to what I knew as programming. Didn't make sense. So when it was explained to me in that way, it really definitely shed some light on the whole functioning programming paradigm and what it all is
0: anything that you're seeing that is kind of we could do better as a community for, for making people who are just now dipping their toes in the water coming in to make it feel more welcome or
3: honestly things like this like this conference has been great and just getting the word out there the other nice thing about a lot of the talks here is it's been very friendly and non intimidating even some of the more advanced talks I've gone to the community is super welcoming and there's there's no sense of you know, I do functional programming and it's much better than, than other programming. It's just a different take on it. Yeah. I think, I mean, my experience with the community is it's, it's great. It just needs to grow and people have to get the word out there. Uh, yeah.
0: So now that you've seen a couple of languages, do you have an idea of what your next language that you might be looking at is from, from this conference? Is there anyone that's um, like, Oh, that, that one really resonated with me from what I've seen so far. You know,
3: I, again, that Paige's talk with the closure was, was just such a great talk and workshop that it's, I'm kind of tempted to just go and look at it since it all made sense to me through that talk. Scala is something that's been in my head for a little bit just because I've heard it used so much. It seems to be very much the way, especially in this area in Denver Boulder. A lot of the jobs are looking okay. to transition towards Scala. So for practical purposes, it'd be great to to know a little bit about that. Still very intimidated by Haskell, so probably won't go that way for a while. <laughs> and pure script that, you know, John was talking about is I think too similar to Haskell for me to dip my toes that direction just yet.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, that sounds great. And thank you for being on. And I look forward to seeing around the rest of the conference.
3: Yeah. Thanks for your time.
0: Thank you. I'm here with Matt Farmer, and he's going to be giving a presentation in a little bit. So, Matt, do you want to give us a rundown of what your presentation will be or when people listen to it, what it was about so they can go find it on video?
4: Yeah, certainly. So I work for a company called Alimica, and we do a lot of interesting things in in the supply chain space. And in that context, we've kind of decided to pursue a lot of these functional languages that we've been talking about some this weekend, particularly for us, Scala and Clojure are the two big ones in our technology stack which has been an important decision for us as a company, because at this point, we're several years old at this point, we have an original product that was written in Java. So this was really an ambitious choice by the decision makers in the technology group. And as a result of that, there were some interesting lessons that came out of it. And ultimately, from my opinion, I believe that it was a worthwhile decision for us to make as an organization. And so the talk is basically going to be walking through a few of the things we've learned and Essentially why I think that pursuing new and cutting edge technologies is worthwhile for any organization, be it a programming language, be it new DevOps
0: tools, be it whatever. What are some of those things that you found as some of the big wins that you weren't necessarily expecting?
4: I would say the biggest one is that it really has tended to attract the type of engineers that we want to be working with by pursuing these technologies. There's a lot to be said for people that are passionate about what they're doing And cultivating an environment where we get the opportunity to explore new things on a somewhat regular basis is proven to
0: be an important draw for those people. That whole business stance of, well, if we put in this obscure technology, we can't hire like we would in Java. It seems to be not quite what your company has found in that case. Yeah,
4: exactly. And, And I go into that a good bit in my talk. And basically talk about the ways that
0: we've kind of proven that wrong. So what are the things, you've been here a couple days, Mm -hmm. You, I know you attended some of the workshops and some presentations so far, what are some of the things that you've seen that have kind of attracted your attention?
4: I'll definitely say that Paul Phillips' presentation on the virtual file system is the kind of thing that blew me away the most, just because I know that you know we have some things that we've dealt with at Olimica and i've personally interacted with folks dealing with problems that could be a lot easier with something like that in place and effective that's probably the biggest kind of
0: wowza moment that i've had this weekend so far okay what other things are you is there anything else you're looking forward to that's going to be going on a little later on today any workshops or
4: yeah, I mean, there are definitely a couple that are coming up that I'm interested in, and I can't remember the titles offhand because I had to go through the spreadsheet, and I had to highlight which ones I was going to go to because there's so much good material that's coming up. So yeah. you kind of have to pick and choose which
0: which ones you're going to go to. So hopefully it sounds like they've actually got the recordings all set and done, so they should be going out, and we should be seeing them. So that's at least a little reassuring is I made a choice, but yeah. that doesn't mean I can't go – pick up on the other stuff.
4: Yeah, exactly. And I'm hoping that those come out pretty soon because I know that I'm excited to see some of the ones I didn't attend in person. I I have a feeling that some of my coworkers would be excited to get to enjoy some of the content as well.
0: So where can people find some of the stuff that you're talking about? Are you going to have your slide decks up and around somewhere? Or Do you have some other blog posts or stuff that talk about this? Yeah, so I'm going to be posting the slide deck
4: and the link to the video. Flambacomp provides a public one on my blog which is at farmdognation.com and if you're if anybody's ever interested in asking me questions about hey you know what about this particular problem that comes with introducing new technology I'm pretty easy to reach on Twitter also at farmdognation and it's pretty easy to get a hold of me on, on either of those but yeah the slides are definitely going to be up on my blog and I will be giving people contact information at the end of the talk in order to ask me questions you give me feedback
0: Any last words of advice for anybody before we end it here and just anything you want to throw out there for anybody else?
4: I would definitely say if you can, be here next year because this has been a pretty fantastic conference so far. This is my first year attending, and
0: I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. I'm here with Brooks Zelenka, and we're going to be talking about your experience here. So far at LambdaConf. So what caught your attention about LambdaConf first, I guess?
5: (laughs) Really just a conference about functional programming. FP is a huge passion of mine. I like to do it in most of my spare time, really. I like teaching it. I also run with one other person the Functional Programming Meetup in Vancouver. So yeah, pretty much all-around Functional Programming Conference. Pretty much have to go.
0: What languages have you played with so far?
5: I'd say I'm most familiar with Haskell. Okay. Uh, I've been playing with it for about just under four years. I've played with Standard ML, Common Lisp, Emacs Lisp, Scheme, Racket, a little bit of Clojure, and a tiny, tiny bit of Elixir. So, okay.
0: Yeah. So what have you found here so far that you've kind of been impressed with? What are you got, getting any good insights so far from the presentations or workshops you've managed to attend so far?
5: Yeah, for sure. Um I really, really enjoyed the Idris talk, the kind of types are going to be very interesting in the next few years, and the generalized algebraic data types talk as well. It's a sort of more challenging area to learn in Haskell. So getting, uh, you know, especially some of the questions people were asking in the class, things like that, was helpful to help round out my knowledge of that as well. Okay. So, yeah.
0: Do you want to give that a little bit of a rundown for anybody who may not be quite familiar with Sure. Sounds like a 30,000 foot view of what that might entail.
5: Yeah. So it's few. you uh,
0: Or as comfortable as you're, you are speaking about your understanding of what they are.
5: <laughs> yeah, sure. So in Haskell, we have algebraic data types. So you can talk about things like an int or a, a list, but you can also have a variable in there as well. So you can talk about lists of ints or strings or really anything. And this really sort of takes that to the next level of abstraction. So you can have type families. That represents a similar sort of way of talking about part of your code, and you can just kind of how you'd have, say, a list of a could be a list of strings. You can have a type that could be any type, and yeah, work down from there. I, this is probably not the, the greatest thirty thousand foot view <laughs> yeah. on it, but yeah, it's sort of taking it to the next rank of types.
0: Yeah. So it helped clear up a lot of your lingering questions and helped gave you a better view yeah absolutely. of your understanding not necessarily about of how you can go and apply it and think thinking about how you apply it when you go back to Haskell and play with Haskell then
5: yeah absolutely yeah.
0: anything else that kind of stood out for what you've seen so far or anything else coming up that you're interested in and excited
5: for or at the end of day two, so most most of the conferences is done. I really enjoyed Chris Allen's talk I'm teaching somebody right now fundamentals of functional programming. So sort of getting the insight because he has a a much larger set of people to draw from and he's been teaching it for much longer. So kind of getting, you know, picking up tips and tricks from him. Yeah. Super helpful. He's also writing a book. So I downloaded the early release of that as well. So I can kind of follow along, give feedback. That was very cool. In my day job I build web apps in Rails, but I got to see people doing it in Haskell and a lot of stuff in, you know, PureScript and ClojureScript and that sort of thing. So that
3: was very cool as well.
0: So lots of lessons to go take back to work and try and
3: absolutely yeah. Ap- apply as much
0: as you can in your Ruby and Rails stuff without being lynched with pitchforks and torches <laughs> by everybody else who doesn't get may or may not get the concepts.
5: Uh yeah, absolutely. Or I uh, you know also gives me a few few things in my toolbox to say, hey, wouldn't this be cool for us to do? Was well, there
0: anything else you want to uh, mention?
5: Well I will say that I've been extremely impressed with how well organized the conference has been from absolutely everything. Everything's run really smooth, the food's been fantastic. It's probably the, honestly, the the best organized conference I've been to over, you know, say 10 years in both tech and not tech. So, yeah, very impressed overall.
0: Well, thanks for your time. And do you want to give any information about where people can find you if they want to kind of follow you and track you down?
5: Yeah, sure, absolutely. So on Twitter, I'm at XPEDE, EXPEDE. If you're in Vancouver, please come join the Vancouver Functional Programmers Meetup. I'd love to see you guys there. It's once a month.
0: And what do you cover there?
5: So it's meant to be sort of a, uh,
0: I, or what's the format, I guess? Cause oh, I've heard a couple different format, like a couple right. different functional groups where they have different formats. So
5: yeah. So it's usually three relatively quick talks. So it's sort of 10 to 15 minute range. And then if there's a talk that has some deeper content, they can break out into a workshop after or just a general hack night, find people to ask questions, work on projects, that sort of thing. In Vancouver, we have quite a few, you know, the Haskell meetup and the closure meetup and whatnot. So it's this is sort of meant to fill the gap between all the languages, and help bring people into functional programming in general as
0: well. Do you get a lot of good participation across those various languages and others talks, as well?
5: Yeah, yeah, a lot of interest in closure, Haskell, and Scala, mostly. But there's people who want to do talks on all sorts of different languages. Yeah. So
0: it sounds like if you're in Vancouver, you make it to Vancouver when one of the meetings is, it's definitely worth checking out then. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for your time. Great, thank you. I'm here with Zeeshan Lakani. And we just got out of his meaning of LFE presentation. So you want to tell everybody a little bit
6: about your talk? Yeah. And I'll say the title comes from Michael Fogas. Thank you for that. Yeah. The talk was basically about a little bit of the history of Erlang and why and, and the nature of Erlang and why it's useful of Lisp and why it's useful. And uh, what I think uh, is the awesome combination of uh, that is Lisp favorite Erlang. And so the talk kind of run through on the various things that came up as I learned the language. And kind of revisited my old days in Lisp and as well as my current days working in Erlang and playing a lot with macros and writing a lot of macros, which I think is the, the true power of it. And that was the kind of beauty, like learning it and having a talk that's about the learning process of the language.
0: I was really enjoying it. I got to see it a little bit through Robert translating some post of mine. But that's a very high-level cursory and kind of knowing it's there. But, yeah, you pointed out a lot of stuff like the uh, defined syntax and
6: stuff that it gives you. And it looks like there's a lot of hidden power there that you don't see just on the surface looking at it. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's been great work by Duncan on the documentation. But I still think there's there's some things I found. I think there's some things from old versions, too. But there's some power from scheme, some scheme elements in there, as well as the Lisp ones. The only thing probably I didn't fully show was like, what is a full application? But there's been work on that. And, you know, obviously working in Erlang all day, we know we can do it. You know, it's kind of one for one matching on, on a lot of the Erlang components that we have. And we know what the VM can do. So,
0: And I think it was just, you showed a, a lot how it's pretty much a full-fledged language at this point, even though Robert has gone off and done a whole bunch of prototypes sure. and
6: playgrounds with a bunch of different things to play with languages. And
0: yeah, it looks like LFE is actually pretty... Fully yeah, out.
6: the the testing tool is obviously super helpful. The interop, I mean, getting, for me, getting interop with QuickCheck working, I wanted to get the, I actually have an example I always use for my QuickCheck talks with the, the full like EQC statum, uh, like a state machine-based, property-based testing. I couldn't get that one working 100%, but it was pretty close. I think I just needed to put some more time. But the, the basic property generators all work really well. So that interop action was also really amazing to me because if I were to jump to it, I want to have the ability to have QuickCheck tests. And that already is there, I think. And I didn't talk about too much, but I used LFE tool, which is a really great way to kind of create uh, projects, like a project template maker. So there's been some good work. And I think if just more people got on, you know, uh, I think even just porting some of the cool stuff maybe we've seen in Scheme and whatnot to create some nice libraries around stuff like the thread macros and stuff like that, I think it'll be really easy to jump in and feel like you have both worlds, not just the Erlang world, which is obviously great and gives you a lot. And that's what it's built on, but uh, having everything else. You also kind of gave a lightning talk last night,
0: to some extent of
6: a lightning yeah, talk, because yeah, you, yeah. you
0: had it very, very densely packed in. <laughs> yeah. So.
6: Well, yeah, I mean, I was talking about conflict resolution data types, specifically the, the state-based ones which we use on React, and, you know, I think CRDTs are a really cool feature of what we have, but also I think in, in terms of distributed systems, and eventually consistent systems specifically, on um, how to merge data that could be inconsistent. And I think it was pretty dense in the sense that I think the part that makes it cool is when you think of the Amazon problem of I've deleted something, I have some stuff in the card deleted something, it comes back. How to deal with those distributed problems when you have rights to too many nodes that are concurrent. So, yeah, I could have shown, I you know just kept it really simple, but then I think people just are kind of hand wavy too I don't really see the point of this. Uh, you know, oh, all the max numbers merge at the top. You know, I start with like three and four and I go up and the max is four. That's cool, but that's not like a real system. So, so showing that even just showing a little bit about how a real system works with dealing with merging and merging based on causality, I think you know that's that's like the super coolest work in distributed systems. So,
0: yeah, it's interesting because I've been hearing more about it. Just I guess getting the ear to the ground in the Erlang community and React and everything else, but it's it's one of those seeing the implications of. I came from a .NET background, and at that point, there was right. domain-driven design and event sourcing. It's like yeah, sure. You just just publish events and then you kind of reconcile them all together. And right, like, right. CRDTs seem to take that and you know, essentially turn that up to 11. And
6: yeah, you know. yeah, they do. And you know, obviously there's great research on it, you know, that we even uh, implemented it, even at the scale we have, is, I think really amazing. But there's just constant research being done in Portugal and about, about a lot of people where they're constantly changing up how to deal with things like garbage collection with keys and dealing with optimizations and stuff. So I think... You know, you're seeing other databases and stuff go, we have to incorporate this as well. And to make it as easy as possible for the user to not have to worry about that, to just be like, I'm writing data and getting high availability.
0: So, with your more specific experience of CODTs than mine, one of the things I kind of see familiar mm-hmm. with, and probably a very poor analogy that I use to kind of try and like hint at it when I explained that to like why it's worth checking out, mm-hmm. is something like Git, where it's essentially you're keeping all these small little things. That you're able to take all these small discrete things and then build them up into a larger yeah. uniform yeah. set of objects, even though they're yeah. small I, little I discrete. Think
6: ideally, the, the concept there. And that's funny it's like it's, in some ways it's different. We see, we're using causality, you know, version vector merging to do those merges when you think of the lattice and CRDTs. But that in itself is about causality and how, you know, a system that tries to understand partial order and tries to understand how do you deal with things when you have people writing for the first time without causality, when people see things. And that we have a, a really good system with version vectors. And again, that's obviously great research in the world of like the history right now we've seen of eventual consistency and how to keep track of time. Sean Cribs gave a great talk at uh, Recon last year called The History of Eventual uh, Consistency at REOC or The History of Time in REOC. I forget the exact title, but it's a really amazing walk on various implementations that we've had from the research community and from ourselves to implement it. But then the work that's being done now with vector versions, dotted vector versions for optimizations. And uh, causality is a you know is interesting mes- mechanism to think about and then when you're thinking about what are the values that I get back from this various sets of data so yeah time <laughs> times hard but time is interesting so
0: and then you also just because we're here and give you a chance to plug it you've also got another thing you're doing kind of on the side in your home city right yeah well we
6: love? yeah papers we love which is obviously way beyond the home city i mean we started it in new york and It's just become, I mean, even people at LambdaConf here have been like, oh, you know, they've heard of it, you know. And we have obviously a chapter in Boulder uh, that's doing uh, Papers of Love tonight, but there's like over 25 chapters around the world. Paris just started one. It's a crazy thing. And the chapters are pretty autonomous. But, you know, we're trying, we have the website up, we're trying to, you know, we're automatically feeding in all the events going on and trying to think about better ways to, a have people talking about papers and, and people not scared to talk about papers and to understand the importance of it. And have people, while we have these events, people guiding people to understand these really amazing yet dense topics. To have somebody who's read it 20, 30 times to really kind of talk about it, I think, is uh, is the best way. You know? Cause Sometimes you can just read it and not get anything and you feel like you've lost. So I think we're moving in that direction because the thing is, as I'm talking about Lisp earlier, the power of it, we still talk about, people still talk about how powerful it is in talks in the 2000s and the 90s. I've seen these things. And you're like, why are we not using it for everything? It's because, I mean, part of it is for a lot of reasons how, you know, things have just happened over history with systems and, and languages. But a lot of it is also research happened, but people were not talking about it as much on one side or the other. Maybe it was happening in academia, but it wasn't happening in industry or or vice versa. Uh, or more so like industry had its own kind of tackle on research and other people in the industry didn't know about it. So I think one thing with Papers We Love is more about, like, can we flesh out the old ideas? Because we love, like, old papers that are, like, the starter of something. But can we also we also get people doing new papers? And what's the newest research? And the idea is that we, don't, we, we shouldn't lose track of that anymore. You know, we we should have the ability to understand that research now.
0: Sounds great. Yeah. And encourage anybody to make it to a Papers We Love if they can in your hometown.
6: Yeah. I think we got one in DFW now. Oh, uh, yeah. Actually, yeah. I, haven't,
0: I haven't had the... Chance to make it out between everything else that's Yeah, been and it's on, growing,
6: but. and uh, and hopefully more cities go in. And so paperswithlove.org has all the events going on and links to the meetups and links to the GitHub repo where we have a bunch of the papers and links to papers and stuff like that. So, and then if
0: anybody wants to kind of follow what you're doing specifically?
6: Usually just on the GitHub or the Twitter. Twitter's the best Twitter. uh, mechanism, yeah. Just find you on Twitter, right? Yeah, yeah. you should yeah, which I'll add to the show notes as well. So, yeah, yeah, and I have, like, from the talks, the slides... They're all footnoted, calling out the best people in the world that I I just take stuff from. That's all I really do really well. So, yeah.
0: Well, it was great talking to you, and uh, we'll let you get back to the rest of the conference. Cool. Thank you. Thanks.